Welcome, for the very first time, to a very special episode of Probably About Politics, Space News Special. Space News! A bonus episode. I've never done a bonus episode before. All of our episodes are bonus because nobody makes us do this. It's our (laughs) own choice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, if we want to get that way about it, yeah, you're right. You are not paying us, and so... (laughs) It is a bonus that you get this at all. (laughs) So in this special bonus bonus episode, Mm -hmm. I hope you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. We're really happy that you're here and we like doing this for you because as we say at the end of every episode, we love you. That's true. And not only that, but you love this idea because between this and the other idea that we gave, even though we already recorded the other idea that nobody wanted, <laughs> yeah, this had like 85% of votes on our yeah. Instagram, which if you're not following us, go follow us at ProbPolitics on Instagram. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. A, a natural organic plug. <laughs> yes. And we have polls on there. If you are mad that this is the bonus episode, this is a, a real lesson in you for you in voting. You got to get out there. You got to vote in the poll. Yeah. If you don't vote, then you have literally no value in any of your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't vote, you don't get a say in anything until you get the, until you go vote. Mm-hmm. That's why I That's, feel about it. Yep. I'm not friends with people who aren't voters because I don't care about them at all <laughs> you, you know how like facebook recommends uh like shirts that are like randomly generated for you yeah i got one like yesterday um i, I don't think i told you about this but it just said hey you vote <laughs> <laughs> and i was like wow facebook really really figured out my niche i guess it's a weird vote or that's a weird shirt for Facebook to auto-generate, given their checkered past with <laughs> democracy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, we have episodes coming up about uh, political scandals, potentially. Mm-hmm. potentially. Um, and if you guys want to hear about wh- why Facebook is uncomfortable around democracy, go vote. Go send us a DM on Instagram and say, tell me why Facebook is evil. And we'll yes. say, well, there are many reasons. <laughs> It is a nuanced issue, but probably about politics. Ah, nice. An organic plug for the show name. Okay, <laughs> so this episode is actually probably about problems because we <laughs> tried to record this episode already. Yes. And yesterday when we were recording it, I had a glass of beer. Today mm-hmm. I have a glass of water. And so despite... And you know, you have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, so there's balance... <laughs> we 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 got balance back uh kaylee's ready to talk about science yeah you have brand new internet installed today so hopefully the call goes better (laughs) this uh, really if it goes wrong on my end there is no saving it yeah well i've been running speed tests all day uh (laughs) i got i got two networks here at home and i'm on the 5g network now so we got decent download speeds this is like really like the work from home like challenge you know really testing everybody's bandwidth the work from home challenge where i go to a meeting and for some reason you're drinking beer (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the meeting was supposed to be about space news but for some reason most of it's about biology (laughs) yeah Yeah, so I guess you're yeah you're jumping ahead here, but really revealing the the secret that um that was like pointed out to be my one of the voters that was like she was like Kaylee everything you're talking about that's not space and you said we were getting space and I was like you're right but Alex will do space because that's that's you the internet was so bad yesterday on this call we didn't even get to the space part of space news okay but without further ado no. let's at least get to the biology part of space news because we've got some cool interesting mm-hmm. not necessarily news. But Kaylee's dipping her toes into the science facts, at least, mini lecture on whether or not uh, we should buy shoes for animals. Then we're going to be talking a little bit about a new sea monster discovered off the coast of our second favorite country in the South Pacific, Australia. (laughs) Then we're going to dive back over to Kaylee for a quick, what would you call this? Trivia? Yeah. Yeah, sort of like the the world's lamest game show where uh, probably Alex isn't going to win anything from it. <laughs> <laughs> You're selling it. And mm-hmm. then we're going to finish off going back to space where it all began mm-hmm. and really talk about where it all began and how scientists have recently discovered potentially why there is something rather than nothing. Wow. 
And uh, this is horrifying to me, but we can do this. It's fine. Yes. So without further ado, Kaylee, whether yes. or not we should buy small, very cute boots, winter boots yeah. for otters, beavers, and ducks. <laughs> <laughs> like, so yeah, we're. Mo- I think this is. I mean, it comes. This is is not like breaking news, but it, it comes up every winter, and we're just coming out of the winter. You're probably you've probably walked if you live in Ottawa and you walk by the canals, you'll see all the the, the ducks, and you wonder, wow, <laughs> do those ducks have cold feet? Or if you live pretty much anywhere else in Canada, you've yeah, also seen a duck <laughs> anywhere you go for a walk. But this is where it occurred to me the most because it was also uh, there that we were both going to university, and I took an arts biology class. And suddenly had the most interest I've ever had in science. And being an undergrad, you were walking around a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, didn't have a car, and uh, yeah. So uh, the the thing is, is that uh, I was concerned about the ducks, and I learned that we don't need to worry about the ducks. The ducks are fine. Yeah, just the honeybees, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess I I don't. I don't know much about the honeybees, so let's not dive into that because that's that's asking outside of my the things I know about in this conversation. But basically, ducks they have uh, like a netting at the base of their leg, sort of where the leg meets the the torso. <laughs> okay, wait, yeah, you gotta set the scene for where this duck is. Oh, this first. duck is in Canada. It's winter, mm-hmm. or anywhere okay. where there is winter and there are ducks. True. Okay. The duck is standing. Uh, outside and it is minus 30 out and it appears to have just a bare foot um, the numbers that you always choose for this are so extreme minus 30 it was minus Minus 30 celsius yeah that's normally like the coldest day of any winter (laughs) i feel like no matter no matter the technology the duck is still a bit cold here uh well i mean yeah it's like not the duck's not in its ideal um setting I'm sure like it would be warmer, but it will be fine is I guess mostly what I, I want to tell you today because okay. it has this netting at the, at the base of its leg between its, it's uh, that is uh, it's basically a net of veins and arteries and the arteries are plump, pumping blood from the heart to the rest of the body and the veins are pumping it mm-hmm. back into the heart. Okay. Science fact one of the episode. Yeah. The difference between arteries and veins, okay? <laughs> if you did not know that, now you do. Um, and ducks uh, use the use this like factor uh, to create what's called a countercurrent heat exchange, which is a very fancy science word. Countercurrent heat exchange, yes. okay. And this has to do with the current of the blood, not the current of the water in which the duck stands. N- no. The duck could okay. be anywhere. They don't have to be in water. No water is required. Mm-hmm. So the blood from the veins comes up, passes the arteries that are coming from the heart. So the cold blood from that's at the bottom of your feet, it goes up. And mm-hmm. it by being netted with the arteries, passes the warm blood. And bo- the blood in both veins gradually becomes warmer and gradually becomes colder going to the destinations that they are heading to. So the warm blood from the art, the heart gets colder before it reaches the feet, and the cold blood from the feet gets warmer before it reaches the heart. Um, and this is like a really valuable system because it it means that they lose the 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 transfer the, they lose less heat by reducing the amount of by gradually reducing, and it creates less work. So the blood that's cold, if it's warmed up before it gets to the heart, the heart and the your core of your body has to do a lot less work to keep warm. So you're you're taking blood that's going to your foot and you're mixing it sort of, you're putting it near blood that's cold coming from your foot mm-hmm. so that the heat goes from the blood going to your foot and it goes into the blood coming from your foot before it gets to your foot. Yes. So that no cold blood ever gets back up into your body. Basically. And yeah, and, and by keeping the blood moving in your mm-hmm. foot, your foot's not going to like, in order to like, not get uh have your foot like rot and fall off or anything you have to keep blood moving in that at that extremity (laughs) so you keep this this uh low temperature blood moving through there so that it it's fine but also the difference between your foot temperature and the outside temperature is dramatically less so it doesn't feel as cold it's not as painful huh so I'm looking at this diagram of a of a beaver's paw Mm -hmm. right now without countercurrent heat exchange yeah 
from their wrist going to their hand, mm-hmm. it's 37 degrees. And then at the same spot going back yep. at their wrist, it's 16 degrees, which is very cold. Mm-hmm. But with countercurrent heat exchange, the blood flow to their paw is 37, where it drops to a low of 15. Mm-hmm. And then by the time it's back to their wrist, it's back up to 36 degrees. Yeah. So it's a pretty effective system. And yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like uh, I, I the, the example I remember my biology teacher saying was like it's yeah it's just like an incredibly this uh, it's called a wonderful net basically the the mm. system of the the veins and the arteries means that if like a duck is swimming in open water uh, at times their foot can actually be the the transference of heat is such that they could actually get warmth from the water because in order for it to be open and moving water it can't be frozen so if you're like if you're if you're a duck and you're standing on land and the ground is minus 10 yeah then you can jump and then your foot will be around say low degrees probably minus you can jump in the water yeah then you can jump in the water yeah which is not frozen and so it should be like one degree yeah and then the water is actually warmer than your foot so you actually gain heat yeah so you're gaining heat. yeah pretty much that's good that's That's it's like that seems like a dope system like (laughs) what i mean i don't think that we we need it as a system but you know sometimes when my hand is freezing minus 52 or whatever well this beaver picture Mm -hmm. the hand part of his body Mm -hmm. without the hand actually stays warmer Mm -hmm. but the blood coming back is really cold yeah so your hand is still your hand still feels cold if you had it yeah i guess that's true (laughs) in any case your heart feels less cold and that's what that's what's important yeah because you don't want to be cold-hearted yeah keep keep the ducks and the beavers and the otters generous and kind yes this is why they're so kind this is why ducks have such a great reputation <laughs> being <laughs> the kindest happy, creature useful, kind yeah animals. i mean i mean they do also like stick their they'll like if one foot well presumably both feet are cold but if one foot is cold they can stick it up into their body and just balance on one mm. and that'll warm it up a bit as well so it's not the only thing you think do, if they but... were going to do that they'd just fly though since they have that ability to <laughs> <laughs> i guess it's an energy thing but we'll get into that yeah. in in, in uh, our future game show. Does it hibernate? Yeah. Ducks well, don't. I guess my my idea would be that I would just fly somewhere warm, right? Yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not just do that? I, I, you have yeah. the ability. Well, it's not like they have a job they got to hold down up in Canada. <laughs> I mean, that's true for all of us. Why don't we just move somewhere warm? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I I can't explain the ins and outs of it. All I know is that some ducks don't. <laughs> But some ducks oh, do. Fair enough. Immigration is a difficult thing. I think. I mean, you're a bigger expert in that than I am. But yeah. I mean, that could explain the ducks. I mean, probably about duck immigration. I mean, duck immigration is probably pretty political. I don't know. I, I don't know what the politics of like territory and stuff in the duck world is. That's fair enough. Do you have any good? Du- I mean, this happens in ducks, beater, beavers, and otters. Yeah. So it seems like a good idea. Does it also happen in the otters' feet, or not in their feet, in their tails? I should say. I think it happens in the beaver's tail. I don't know if it happens in the otter's tail. Interesting. I recently saw a beaver. Yeah? <laughs> what was it doing? <laughs> uh, it was in some shallow water. All right. Uh, I stepped, I was on a path, and then I took a step towards the beaver to try to get a better picture of it. And then it uh, went away. <laughs> it, it immediately left. Yeah. <laughs> Did it do that um, thing where it smacks its tail? No, it didn't even do that. It was just like... <sighs> gone <laughs> yeah i mean that that's the it's cool when it does that if it just goes in it that's a little disappointing yeah so i didn't even get a bad pic i mean lesson learned though take a bad picture before you try to get close yeah <laughs> and then actually lesson learned as i don't try to get close and leave the wildlife the way it is yeah. i understand i apologize to all of the beavers out there people get really upset about that when you take a step towards wildlife <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I it's just from a picture standpoint it's it will probably be more effective in the future you just got to get one of those telephoto cameras anyway moving on speaking of needing a telephoto camera yes how do you take a picture of a sea monster oh you don't because that's horrifying and the in the ocean yes. is horrifying yeah and probably now with the telephoto lens probably some sort of like underwater rover thing yeah a gopro <laughs> a little submarine yeah a gopro <laughs> <laughs> but no matter how they did it, mm-hmm. researchers out of the uh, Schmidt Institute in Australia mm-hmm. recently took a fantastic photograph of a siphonophore, which is now the world's longest animal. Is it like, I guess, is it, 
Because when you said that to me, it was like a, it, it said that it was like a gelatinous string. Is it all one animal? <sighs> Kaylee, you're calling their bluff here. Okay, so here's the thing. This siphonophore, a siphonophore apolemia mm-hmm. specifically, uh, was discovered on the Ningaloo coast just off of Australia, on the western coast of Australia. And this thing had wound itself into a gigantic coil. Ugh. Now, again, this is when it's very useful to have images. <laughs> yeah, we'll look It's kind of a image. spiral. Yeah. The spiral is almost 50 feet in diameter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the actual length, like if you go along the line that's in a spiral, it's over 150 feet long and seemingly maybe a foot wide all the way along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's like a silly string kind of like sprayed into the ocean. And this specific siphonophore apolemia is a bunch of, it's it's one organism, but yeah. it's called a colonial organism because everything comes back to politics. Just <laughs> <laughs> colonizing the ocean. And so it's, it's a bunch of jellyfish. And then the other part of the life cycle of a jellyfish is a little polyp. Mm-hmm. So the jellyfish part swims around, but the polyp stays put and kind of is an inverted jellyfish stuck on things. And so this is both of those things together, and they they stick in this tube, and stuff kind of comes near the tube and goes in, and they eat it. So it's not really all one animal because it's a colony, but they all are, like, reliant on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying it. This seems... I'm a little skeptical. It doesn't seem I like was it's one too. animal. At first, I mean, I was stoked. I was like, whoa, this thing is 100. I mean, it's three times as long as a blue whale. Yeah. I don't think that it not being one animal, it m- diminishes my, like, both both fear and general awe at looking at it. It's, it's, it's horrifyingly. Like, you imagine swimming in the ocean and then you just, like, accidentally run into this. Yeah. Imagine you're a couple hundred feet down. <laughs> 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 but okay so i was once i fi- you find out about this this uh colonial aspect of it mm-hmm. and as good podcast hosts mm-hmm. we are always suspicious of colonialism <laughs> <laughs> yes uh and so the largest non-colony animal is the lion's mane jellyfish okay it feels like there's a real jellyfish theme to this yeah well jellyfish like they can be super long because there's not a lot to them there's just like this horrifying ropey stringy jello nature which is easy to get big you know yeah yeah (laughs) and it doesn't like have a lot of bodily functions yeah they don't have to worry about the countercurrent heat exchange no any of those complications uh but this the largest ever lion's mane jellyfish was over 120 feet long from tip to end of tentacle with the 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 big middle part the 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 bell part of the jellyfish being over seven feet in diameter so it's like this jellyfish the actual jellyfish body part yeah is like bigger than most nba players so can that just <laughs> jesus can that just that can just go on forever like can that just live for presumably a indefinite amount of time do you know how much of a jellyfish do you know um i think okay so <laughs> Okay, well, we're delving into uh, aspects of space news that have to do with biology that we didn't even cover yesterday. Okay. Um, But from my knowledge of jellyfish (laughs) is that there are immortal-ish jellyfish species, Mm -hmm. which can go back and forth between this polyp life stage Mm -hmm. and the medusa life stage, which is like the floating jellyfish. Yeah, yeah. And so... They float around and then they can go stick back down and that kind of like reverts them to like a young stage and then they can pop back up as floating jellyfish. Now, people say that the the best way to get a right answer on the internet is to first answer with an incorrect answer on the internet. (laughs) And so... Yeah, I'm sure we will get an email about how this is not true and that these this jellyfish is not. I'm I'm not saying the lion's head jellyfish is immortal. I'm saying that there exist immortal-ish jellyfy, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but, jellyfishes. Okay, so I guess back on to like safe to say you wouldn't also you wouldn't want to run into this lion's mane jellyfish like it it would be bad, right? Um. Well, no, they are uh, extremely sticky. They can sting you um, just like other jellyfish. Yeah. They're longer than a blue whale. 
They're horrifying. They're just enormous and terrifying, too. Uh, So, like, to get on the same page here, like, we have a disagreement about space. Like, this is a space of anxiety for me and and not for you. But the ocean, we agree that this is a nightmare place. Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking to go hang out near over 100 feet long and a cylinder of 10 feet wide, stinging, capturing tentacles that are used to suck in prey Mm -hmm. and then eat them inside of this gigantic horrifying jelly monstrosity yeah no uh, that sounds awful and the fact that it exists is horrifying but then that ain't me i mean what do we know is (laughs) in space i guess well that's the thing there's not a lot (laughs) (laughs) that that we know but it's infinite true uh sure i guess yes if we have any there is no edge (laughs) (laughs) if we have any science or uh, ocean fans friends who love the ocean um and who want to contest our our fears that we'd we'd be very open to that i think and happy to hear from you Mm. i love aquariums but uh that's maybe a controversial pretty political stance yeah we talked about this on yesterday's show about how you once were not yourself a member, <laughs> no. but did know members yeah. of the aquarium, uh, and also knew the names of turtles who lived at the aquarium. Yes, like not their like biological names, but like their first names, like Stu. I, I don't know what the name was. Yes, but... and these were names that other people gave them. You didn't just name them yourself and then no. claim to have knowledge. No, that's what a lot of biologists do. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're maybe starting a minor feud with the the biologists of the world. Like, okay, given that you're an expert in the first names of uh, turtles at aquariums, yes, and also that you have deep knowledge of countercurrent heat exchange in ducks, otters, and beavers, <laughs> and whether or not it may or may not exist in their tails, yeah, um, it seems like you have the facts down pat about biology well look uh i think that in the i have the i have the trivia down pack i i enjoy okay having a very surface level knowledge (laughs) and so now it's time you are now finally allowed to during space news turn the tables and it's yeah it's time to quiz you if i know yeah (laughs) so i want to i because i have been very concerned all my life about not only ducks and whether they should have shoes, but also our misconceptions about hibernation. Because Okay, what do you want to call the segment, Kayla? Uh, does it hibernate? This is what the segment Does it hibernate? Does it hibernate? Roll the audio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the purposes of this, uh, I'm going to say some animals, and I'm going to ask you... Does it hibernate? Because there are not actually that many animals that truly hibernate. I'll define true hibernation for you to be to give you a fair start. Uh, it's characterized okay. by a low body temperature, slow breathing, low heart rate, low metabolic rate, and a reduced state mm-hmm. of activity. Okay. Yeah. And yesterday we, we 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 got on a bit of a tangent specifically about black bears at a certain point yes and so the amount that the body temperature has to be lowered is quite substantial yes and it can't just be a little bit low no like if you move the animal or make loud noises that animal will not wake up so and this is this is the root of my fear is because um like as a spoiler <laughs> black bears uh bears they don't they're not true hibernators they're they go into sort of a light hibernation, and you might find a black bear in a woods just at a base of a tree. They're not, like, in a den somewhere, always. Um, and if you were to kick that black bear, it would wake up, and it would kill you. Here's the thing. Even if a black bear was hibernating, mm-hmm. I feel like if you kicked it, yeah. it would it would, it would come too. Not if it was a You're true, telling me that's not, not true. If it was a true hibernation, it wouldn't. But it doesn't, so it will. <laughs> And I think that, you know, this is uh, this is what I'm trying to save you all from. Is uh, All right. So this is a lesson from Kaylee here. Uh, anything that you learn about in this segment that's a true hibernator, feel free to kick it because it won't wake <laughs> up. Well, I mean, usually if it's a true hibernator, it's hard to find it to kick it too. Like they, they bury themselves. Okay. We'll start with it. We'll but that's Kaylee. If you can find it, go ahead. That, <laughs> you got the green light. All right. A little brown bat, Alex. Does that hibernate? Is that a creature that hibernates? Okay. 
Okay, here's the thing. We did this segment yesterday. Yeah. And I have to be honest in that I it, uh, Scout's Honor, actually Beaver's Honor, because I never made it all the way to Scout's. <laughs> <laughs> I have genuinely forgotten which of these animals I've renewed or not. And that's, see, this is, I'm trying to do something for the listener and for you, because I it's important. I think it's good to know. All right. Yes. Okay. Um, a little brown bat. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Little brown bats eat insects, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. right? Probably. Yes. And here's the thing. When it's wintertime, I don't see a lot of insects flying around. This is an observation. Important in biology. As a scientist, I'll use my inductive reasoning skills here. Sure. To go from the evidence that I've collected that I don't see many bugs around in the winter, <laughs> that bats probably hibernate because what else could they eat? Yeah. No, they do. They're true hibernators. They're one of the only oh. true hibernators. Okay. Uh, okay. With a little it. brown bat specifically. I don't know about other bats. <laughs> There, there could be a bat that doesn't. <laughs> I just don't want the bat fans to come after me. Um, like Batman, I don't <laughs> think he hibernates. Um, <laughs> Literally Batman may come after you. He's a bat fan. Wait, is he afraid of bats or is he a fan of bats? I think he's a fan of bats. His thing seems to be bats. but Fair, fair, sure. Um, okay. If he was afraid of bats, that'd be horrible. This one, This one's a little tricky. The northern leopard frog or Blanding's turtles. We'll put them both together. Do they hibernate? <laughs> So this is like the amphibian category. Yeah, they both do the same thing. So, Blanding turtles and what was the, the type of frog? Northern leopard frogs. Northern leopard frogs. Okay, leopards 100% don't hibernate. No, but you shouldn't find and one here. I'm, and I'm guessing this guy Blanding never hibernated either <laughs> because that seems like a person's name. Uh, and since they're both named after non-hibernators, I'm going to go with it doesn't hibernate. Uh, this logic is not your best logic, but it's not entirely wrong. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm just right for the wrong reasons. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, I guess they they do something called brumation, which is a hibernation-like state that cold-blooded animals go into. Oh. So it's essentially, it's the same as hibernation, but it's different because they're cold-blooded animals. Um, and like, so they'll <laughs> like the sink to the different. bottom. I don't of, like this game. Uh, like a, they'll <laughs> sink to like the bottom of a lake and just like be there and not move for until it warms up again. Um, but they will typically, they might like shift in and go back to sleep or drink water and stuff like that. So it, it's different than true hibernation. Okay. So they're kind of like, they're, they're chilling a bit. If you kick this little frog, he's coming too. Yes, pretty much. So don't. And that's the only reason why not to, right? <laughs> well, look, uh, if it's, if it's the reason that gets you not to kick it, then yes. Um, Okay. <laughs> This one, this one's a big one. Groundhogs, do they hibernate? Okay. I can't remember if I was right or not with my logic on this yesterday, so I'm going to go with the same logic. Okay. And here it is. Is that we use groundhogs to determine the length of winter, mm-hmm. right? And yes. so they they have to be able to come in and out of their holes to look for their shadow mm-hmm. around March or February. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when Groundhog Day is. It's, it's February. February. And so if it is expected that a groundhog may possess the ability to come out of their hole, determine that it will be a long winter left, Mm -hmm. then go back into their hole, they must not hibernate because they got to be in movement. Well, I think this is, uh, unfortunately, Alex, a case where the the folktales are not actually based in science or i don't i don't have any idea what the folktale is based in uh because groundhogs <laughs> are in fact canada's largest true hibernators uh, <laughs> they go- I got, so i use the exact same logic to be wrong in the same way twice in a row yeah eh? yeah that's not a good showing <laughs> no and then, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, so yeah, they, they, they essentially like, they go into like a little ball in their like holes that they go into deep and, and they're oh, asleep. Wow. And you could, my biology teacher said you could kick that ball and it would not wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian winter soccer. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. And then, um, the yeah, I mean, don't kick the groundhog. That is not what I'm active. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, trying to get you to do. I'm not, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but yeah, like, so like, and then the final category, I'm not going to, cause we kind of revealed it. Bears, they go into what's like called, uh, light hibernation, um, or, or torpor, torpor, T-R-T-O-R-P-O-R. Um, so your heart rate's very low, your body temperature but your body temperature is still pretty high and uh, you mm-hmm. can you can be roused. Man, 
groundhogs are they look so funny on camera yeah they do this they do that thing with their mouth open mm-hmm. they look like they're yelling <laughs> th- th- those we we'll, we'll link one in the uh, newsletter those are the best youtube videos man you get you get a groundhog with his mouth open yeah with <laughs> with some other audio dubbed over top of him yelling at people mm-hmm. that's a winning combination that <laughs> All right. That's good. So we're like 30 minutes into this. Is it time? Is it space news time? Is it time for space news? Yes. Uh, I believe so. Um, And really space news is becoming synonymous with physics news, but this did happen in space. So all things are space news. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, we're also going to talk, got to do a Mars rover update. So that's for sure space, right? Rover update, rover update. Okay. The Curiosity rover is still operational on Mars. Yeah, as of are... April twenty second, twenty twenty. Yes, yes. I actually I didn't check today. I did check yesterday, and it was operational. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other, the only other operational Marser, or not Marser, the only other operational Roser rover, <laughs> Jesus, uh, in the solar system. Uh, that's not on Earth because we have quite a few mm-hmm. here that are operational. Is the Chang'e rover from the Chinese uh, Space Institute, which is on the moon? Okay, is it doing roving around the South Pole? I think it's doing like similar things, but different place, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's looking for water, but yeah, there's there because the moon is so close and accessible, right? It's only like three days by a rocket ship, yeah, four hundred thousand kilometers away. Um, we have these these planned missions that um, India was just trying to send a rover there this year, but the uh, rocket exploded in not the way rockets are supposed to explode, yeah. which is a more controlled manner. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, and the Americans want to go back to the moon with people. Okay. The Artemis mission by it was it was supposed to be twenty twenty eight, but uh, Mike Pence came came out and said no, twenty twenty four. A controversial move, but interesting. Yeah, Mike Pence is normally against people coming out, but he did it right there, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so will people, like, people will live on, in this in this idea, people are going to live on the moon in, like they do in the space station? Um, yeah, so I, I guess part of it is to build, like, a, a semi-permanent outpost on the moon uh, at some point, at one point, it was supposed to be like a gateway type project. Um, that's kind of changed. Um, it remains to be seen what the permanence of the moon base would be. Um, and in reality, whether or not it even happens, who knows? But let's not try to be too pessimistic uh, <laughs> during these times. Uh, and let's say we're going to be on the moon by 2024. Okay. Uh, but uh, don't ever quote me on that. Yeah. Let's well, not like <laughs> don't put don't bet the house on it or anything like that yeah so like has if the follow-up question it seems like the mars rover has been there a long time how long are they supposed to be there do they come they don't come back right like it it we talked um, about this yesterday they, but they become space letter essentially right so yeah the ones on mars are not are, they were never planned to be able to come back mm-hmm. the chinese rover on the moon um is supposed to be able to send samples back from the moon to earth actually oh, okay is planned to be able to do that um but the american rovers that are on mars have never been trying to come back uh part of that is because of a a uh, concept in <laughs> aeronautics known as delta v which is the amount of so to get off of a stellar body mm-hmm. Uh, you need to ha- reach what's called the escape velocity, which is a speed you have to go to get out of the gravity well yeah. that that thing takes up. Yeah. So to get off of Earth, you need quite a large delta V because the escape velocity of Earth is quite big because it's a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. But the escape velocity to get off the moon is quite a bit smaller mm-hmm. because the moon has a much lower gravitational pull. Yeah. So you can get back to Earth uh, quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The delta V required to get off of Mars is quite a bit larger than to get back off the moon, so it's more difficult. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it, it, you would require your robot thing to still have a lot of energy left to be able to get out of there. Yeah, it, it needs a lot of fuel. And part of that is because all of that fuel that it gets, that it needs to get off, the, off of Mars with, it has to carry there. Yeah. Which means that you have to launch with more fuel. And if you're interested in how much fuel, how much weight 
fuel takes up of rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look up the tyranny of the rocket equation uh. um, because the majority of all the weight of a rocket that's launched off earth is actually fuel that is burned up during the launch. <laughs> I knew that that was like a whole thing, but I did not know the details. Yes. Uh, and so that's why I have like multi-stage rockets and stuff so that mm-hmm. the containers holding the fuel, once they're empty, you just launch them oh. away from yourself. You get a little bit of a kick from when they explode away. Yeah. And also you're not carrying around this empty tank. But uh, we weren't <laughs> planning on talking about actual rocket science. But hey, every once in a while, you got to dip your toes uh, in. Uh, Kaylee, you're going to go on about brain surgery next, right? Uh, no. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? See where this uh, road takes us. Uh, but let's 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 get you. I'll let you get your scheduled program and not just uh, get Kaylee's curiosities. Yes. Okay. So, space news. This group, um, this is actually a, a famous group, the T2K uh, collaboration mm-hmm. um, with the Tokai to Kamiokande uh, collaboration, uh, where they also have this gigantic neutrino source. Uh, we'll talk about what neutrinos are. They okay. are chargeless leptons. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Kaylee's oh, already now giving I know. bad luck. <laughs> uh, uh, and they go to and they go to chem, uh, the super the super Kamiokande detector, mm-hmm. which is this gigantic tank filled with heavy water. Heavy water has two protons instead of one. Okay. Um, or it has a, it has a neutron in the hydrogen, so the hydrogens have two nucleons instead of one nucleon. But that's not important. The thing is, it's just a gigantic tank, and when neutrons hit something in the tank, they let off a little bit of light, mm-hmm. and this big tank is filled with detectors to detect photons that show up extremely rarely. Okay. Um, and so we can get into all of that. So, um, but but did they they built this or like this just existed? <laughs> just to make sure about um, that same page so the the detector is 290 kilometers away oh okay tokai has the neutron the neutrino source Mm -hmm. so they shoot the neutrinos and because neutrinos we can get into this we can actually talk about this right now Mm -hmm. neutrinos don't really interact with anything very strongly so they shoot them 290 kilometers through the earth and they all get there because they don't interact with anything Mm -hmm. they get to the detector and then they interact with the water very very rarely um, and then you can detect a photon when they hit the water. Okay. Now, I don't know how much people like when we go in depth in this section, but a natural question that often arises is why do neutrinos not interact with things mm-hmm. very much? Like, why can you shoot a neutrino through <laughs> the Earth? <laughs> right? Yeah, why? Uh, yeah. How did we find out you could do that as well? Like, what? Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, how do you ever discover neutrinos if they don't interact with anything, right? Like, how do you measure them? Mm-hmm. And so you can't. So we are constantly being. This is like every time we talk about neutrinos, you talk about how you're constantly being bombarded by neutrinos, billions and billions of neutrinos flying through your body, constantly, because they come out of the sun okay. as part of like the nuclear process that keeps the sun going. Yeah. Part of that is that neutrinos are created. Uh, sure. And those neutrinos come and go right through us and you never notice it. Okay. And, okay, so if you want some terms to look up afterwards that you probably won't. <laughs> neutrinos, there's ba- there's four fundamental forces, right? Mm-hmm. The electromagnetic force, mm-hmm. the weak force, the strong force, and gravity. Yeah. Right? Um, um, and so neutrinos, as their name might suggest, are neutral. Yeah. And so because they have no electromagnetic charge, they don't interact with the electromagnetic force like an electron might. Now, an electron is a type of elementary particle known as a lepton. There are a few types of leptons, mm-hmm. one of the other ones being a neutrino. Mm-hmm. And the thing about leptons is that they don't interact with the strong force. Okay. And the strong force is what holds protons and neutrons together and nucleons of uh atoms mm-hmm. like stuff that makes up the nucleus so protons and neutrons <laughs> so they have they have quarks in them mm-hmm. that are not leptons and those things interact with a strong force and so neutrinos then don't really interact with the two strongest forces the strong force mm-hmm. aptly named and the electromagnetic force and so because they don't interact with those forces they can only be interacted with very weakly by other things mm-hmm. okay 
And so they do have mass, so they interact with gravity. Okay. Okay? Uh, yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> and they can interact with the weak force, but the weak force is weak. And so but... you don't get much interaction. Okay, so the whole the whole reason why we're talking about this, right, is why do we have anything at all in the universe? Yeah. Now, if you disregard certain uh, ideas of how things came to be. Yes. <laughs> um, Theories. Uh, then it would seem as though at the Big Bang, mm-hmm. right, you can have an equal amount of matter and antimatter created, and then on balance, your energy is still zero. Mm-hmm. Right? So then you can have, you can make a bunch of stuff, but on, on average, the the energy is zero, so you haven't actually done anything. You've kind of hidden your crimes, okay? Sure. Um, but here's the thing, Kaylee. Yeah. What are you made out of? Mm, cells? Out, out of... Out of those two choices, matter or antimatter, which one oh, do you think? Matter? <laughs> matter, yeah. Okay. Everything you've ever interacted with is made out of matter. When yeah. we take our telescopes and look into the sky, all we see is matter. And uh-huh. so the question arises, where is the if the only way, where is the antimatter? Nice. Why is there such an enormous imbalance of matter and antimatter in the universe if at the Big Bang we hypothesize that equal amounts were created mm-hmm. okay and so this is where neutrinos come in is because now we're not going to get into how neutrinos oscillate between their three flavors <laughs> okay like, was it vanilla chocolate and strawberry <laughs> that is not the case no uh, no never mind we don't need to get into it it's, it's not important it's not important the okay the yep the tau the muon and or the mu neutrino and the electron neutrino but those are not important the fact is there's three different neutrino flavors Mm -hmm. and they oscillate between one another and when they do this weird funky things happen because they oscillate between them we know that neutrinos have mass but we can't determine the mass of which one is which okay (laughs) due to some we can tell what flavor it is but then we don't know what mass it is and if we measure the mass of a neutrino we can't tell what flavor it is and so it seems like a real problem it's just one of those things okay there's actually a canadian who won a nobel prize in 2015 for this arthur mcdonald oh yeah i think i remember this um yeah because we have a big neutrino detector in sudbury at snow lab in canada so Mm. Ontario connection, Canada connection. Um, no good for you in New Brunswick. No, but no. Good enough that he's Canadian. Go. I think he actually is from Nova Scotia. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so closer. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Timer. Um, so basically what these neutrinos can do when they oscillate back and forth, it's hypothesized that they do this thing called CP violation, mm-hmm. which is charge and parity violation. And so there's, instead of having all of your charge conserved and all of your um, mirror image things conserved, Mm -hmm. then from the nature of this weird oscillation business, they can turn into mostly matter instead of antimatter. It's hypothesized. And so that could lead to this balance, right? Yeah. Hypothetically. Yeah. And so. And that's why we're here. Hypothetically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. And so for the last decade, uh, Super Cameo Kande, the experiment has been collecting data. It's a pitch black, gigantic, like, I don't know how many millions of liters of heavy water in this detector. It's enormous, this big circle. Mm-hmm. It's pitch black, underground, photo detectors all around the walls. And in the 10 years that they were collecting data, bombarding this from 10 to the, with 10 to the 20 neutrinos. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a one- with 20 zeros after it, number of neutrinos. Yeah, yeah. The number of neutrinos that they detected mm-hmm. over a 10-year period are just 90. Oh, wow. This <laughs> seems like a spectacular investment for low return, but yes. 
which is why you need this enormous detector and you need to just blast it with so many neutrinos because remember they only interact with the weak force and gravity mm-hmm. and so every once in a while they'll interact with some of the water and because of that interaction a photon will come out wow. and so the way that they actually interacted though they measured 90 neutrino interactions but when they affected it with the same number of anti-neutrinos which is the antimatter equivalent mm-hmm. they only had 15 interactions how do they get the anti-neutrinos so we can uh, not me not we but humans yes we can prepare antimatter um because in just like normal quantum processes of things like different types of particles interacting yeah then they break down into certain other smaller particles Mm -hmm. the things that are produced from those interactions can be antimatter sometimes depending on the type of interaction you can get antimatter to come out and normally like a matter pair of that thing it's it sort of sounds like and i know this isn't true uh, it's just like a comic book thing but it sounds like you're saying that we are doing something like evil (laughs) Like, like antimatter is like <laughs> this thing that we can do. It's a little dangerous. Make it happen, but it's not at all. It's perfectly, uh, apparently safe. I mean, if you take if you take antimatter and put it with normal matter, it yeah. creates this. It unleashes a catastrophic amount of energy, huh. just huge, huge amount of energy because it gets because the two. If you take a matter and an antimatter pair, when they interact, they just annihilate. It's called. Uh, matter antimatter annihilation yeah yeah. it's just it comes out in pure energy right yeah and so we can prepare antimatter as weird as that sounds people study anti-hydrogen for its properties to see if it's actually identical to hydrogen just in just totally opposite yeah um but so they only had 15 anti-neutrino interactions but 90 neutrinos Mm -hmm. and so it seems as though there's this uh preference for these matter type interactions rather than these antimatter type interactions and so this points in the direction of this cp violation Mm -hmm. um, which would allow all of the equal amounts of matter and antimatter produced at the big bang to then bend towards uh the matter state and so we end up with a matter dominated universe yeah it's just like kind of like odds are better for matter is basically the answer interesting yeah this is just this is not 100 percent discovered yeah um this i mean it was published in nature uh last week mm-hmm. i mean it's a it's a huge finding mm-hmm. um but neutrinos are really hard to detect and do kind of weird things and so basically this is saying okay let's take the super cameo candy experiment that's been around for a couple decades now and we're building hyper cameo candy now <laughs> and also um the americans are building a neutrino experiment called dune that will probe this even more deeply but now that we have this kind of preliminary data it seems it seems uh like very good evidence for it i think their statistical evidence was it's about a one in 350 chance that this is just random chance that we'd get 90 instead and 15 instead of equal amounts Mm -hmm. Um, okay but one in 350 is pretty good odds (laughs) that they're right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah i guess yeah on the scale of what we're talking about yeah probably i mean it's it's interesting that like that that overwhelming question of like why am i here is now yeah. in in uh perhaps not in the way that the person hypothesizing this or like putting this uh, philosophical uh overwhelming question out there is hoping to get the answer but the answer is mm-hmm. essentially just potentially is essentially just uh there were better odds on matter than any antimatter and here you are yeah well so cp violation even though it seems like crazy weird stuff has actually been discovered previously mm-hmm. um with kaons uh which is just a different type of particle and their decays uh which actually led to a nobel prize mm-hmm. in the 1980s um but that cp violation is it can happen, but there's just not enough of it to mm-hmm. lead to the amount of matter that we do have. And so it seems like a good candidate. And if this is happening with neutrinos, then that seems like there might be enough to account for how much that there actually is. So watch this space and we might get another result in another decade <laughs> saying now we have a one in 400 chance that we're actually right. Um, but yeah, huge question being asked. Really cool result. 
um, really hard to actually like get into all of the nitty gritty of how it happens. Mm -hmm. But basically you have a ton of neutrinos going through you all the time. Not a ton. They weigh very, very little, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but they do have mass, but we just don't know which one has which mass. They alternate between each other in this weird way. Uh, and they only interact with the weak force mm. instead of the strong nuclear force and electromagnetism, so we can barely detect them. I think, like, uh, I think the word neutrino is kind of like it's like a cute word, you know? It's kind of like you you, you could really like make them seem cute in the way that we also think like curiosity is cute, you know? Yeah, curiosity is not so cute. No, IMO. <laughs> no spirit and op- spirit and opportunity had that goofy head thing coming yeah, up, you know? That's true. Uh, curiosity is like so big and it's got these yeah, like the, eight tires, wheels yeah. Look, yeah 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 so does the um, the new one right what's the the perseverance is it perseverance what's the new one that their nasa is going to send out it has really big tires uh, i don't know yeah they changed the design mm-hmm. which is lame yeah get the little ones back yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean they might they not better have been working stamp. as well but yeah they, they they were cuter for sure wow how dare you say they weren't working that well? My well, goodness. I mean, they worked. They worked well for what. The, but it seems like now Curiosity is accomplishing more. If what I was reading is to be believed, yes. Yeah. Well, Different Curiosity things. is like a is a much more equipped yeah instrument. Um, but we're running long, Kaylee. Yeah. That's that's our full episode space news. Despite being mostly biology, we talked about sea monsters. We talked about. Mm-hmm. you know beaver otter paws duck feet how cute they all are how cute rovers yeah. can be a uh, little bit about neutrinos nearly massless but they do matter yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> they might really do matter anyway if you liked what you heard today uh, and want to hear something almost completely different normally, uh, make sure to subscribe to us by uh, sending an email to probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com. You can get on our newsletter that way or mm-hmm. by going to, what is our po- what is our website? probpolitics.wixsite.com slash podcast. You can go there and subscribe as well. Yeah. Send us a tweet at probpolitics or follow us on Instagram at probpolitics. We post all the time there about what we're talking about. And without further ado, Thank you for listening to Probably Build Politics special extra bonus episode, Space News. <laughs> Space News.